Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. You must realize there aren't enough Jedi to protect the Republic. We're keepers of the peace, not soldiers. Master Yoda, do you think it will really come to war? Mm, the dark side clouds everything. Impossible to see. The future is. Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the very exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 432, The Rising Storm. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Elzar man to my Stellan Geos, we have Carl LeClaire. Ah, so glad to be here, the thirstiest Jedi in all the galaxy. (laughs) So excited to be back in the Times of the High Republic and talk about Indeed. the second novel of the uh, of the series by Kevin Scott, The Rising Storm, of course. And Jason, we would be remiss to talk the High Republic without our very own High Republic scholar. It is Avar Chris, the Avar Chris to this group, and it is the one and only Gregory Cass. I really am the looker of the three of us, so there you go. <laughs> well, if you are the, the scholar of this group, maybe we should have made you Orbelin. Um, <laughs> I, I'll take it. I, I, I feel a little jelly after pandemic, so maybe it works well. <laughs> uh, so we are here to break down and discuss and dissect and share all sorts of fun details from, like we said, Kevin Scott's second entry into the High Republic series, The Rising Storm. So we're going to say it right now, right out the gate. Spoilers ahead. We are going to talk about every little detail about this book that we feel inclined to talk about. So if you've not read The Rising Storm and want to remain spoiler free, please come back to this episode after reading it uh, because we are not going to spare any details as we uh, dive into this discussion. Um, Yeah. Oh, There's I'm a lot to talk about here. So much to talk <laughs> about. So much to talk about. Things things got real dark here, and I, I can't wait to get both of your perspectives on all of that. Um, but before we get into the discussion of the novel, we did have a matchup from our previous episode, Jason, where we finished out our uh, favorite prequel moments, and we asked everybody. Uh, we we put a uh, you know a very Sithy lightsaber matchup between Darth Maul of the Phantom Menace with Count Dooku of Attack of the Clones. And this was very close, which was exciting because we've had some blowouts as of late. So Jason, where did the, where did it come down on this uh, matchup of Sith Lords? Uh, Well, uh, first of all, thank you to everyone who weighed in on our matchup. We had quite a bit over Twitter and Instagram. So thank you so much for all of that. Uh, It was close, but 
there is a victor. Um, and even if we all vote for the, the loser here, all the three of us here, there will still be a, the same victor. But that being said, Darth Maul came out ahead uh, 44 votes to count Dooku's 37. Um, I, I have some thoughts on this, but I'm going to kick it over to you, Carl, first. Uh, what do you think about this matchup? I got to go. Uh, I hate this. Because it's, I think it's really close. So in my head, so let me just preface with this. The way I imagined setting this up is Darth Maul as he is in Phantom Menace. So not not talking about him later on and same with Count Dooku in in Attack of the Clones. Um, I got to actually give it to in a very close matchup. um, I'm giving it to Count Dooku. Uh, You know, I mean, he's known as a swordsman. He he trained Qui Gon. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's a very close one, but I've got to give it with just the edge to Count Dooku. Um, but I'm curious, Greg, because you, of course, not not super long ago, were a surprise guest on a Count Dooku centric podcast episode. <laughs> um, so as as the Count Dooku expert on on tonight's show, <laughs> I'd like to know where you land with this. Well, I mean, it really comes down to what kind of competition we're talking about. It sounds like you intend this to be a duel, but say it was a snazzy pajama fashion show. (laughs) We all know Dooku would win that handily because he's the one with the jammies. Um, (laughs) I feel like like Darth Maul doesn't have pajamas. No. Like he's he's, naked. Yeah, he he sleeps naked. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, images in my head that I, I didn't want. Uh, you know, and if you're talking about Darth Maul and Phantom Menace, I mean, by the end of this that movie, he's half the man he was. So, uh, oh, ow. Uh, so, yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Count Dooku. I think because um, I think the raw intensity of Darth Maul just can't win out against the smooth, uh, restrained style at that point. Um, maybe by the time he's he gets to the the clone wars there'd be more of a contest there but i'm i'm going count dooku mainly because i don't want jason to yell at me <laughs> uh so jason why did you pick count dooku uh well <laughs> yes um that was not in question who i was gonna pick but yeah no i picked count dooku because he is a swordsman and because uh one of his abilities that we have seen him use is to be able to turn people's attacks against them uh that's why he's able to you know take on multiple opponent opponents at once and things like that uh and so maul is a ball of rage and fire and fury but to someone with a calculating mind that's easy to turn aside and to use against the wielder so i feel like especially for going just attack of the clones and the phantom menace it's not super close. I feel like Dooku would be able to hold his own as Maul flips around him um, and and would find the opportunity to make the precision strike. So, yeah. Yeah. So I like how you phrase that because it reminds me of Anakin at the beginning of the duel in Attack of the Clones, uh, what Carl has recently deemed the world's most perfect film. Um, because <laughs> I do think he's just that same kind of ball of rage and Dooku can just misdirect him a couple times and then really take him out pretty easily. So I, I think you're right. Yeah. 
Well, that being said, that brings our tally a little bit closer. Uh, 44 for Darth Maul and 40 for Count Dooku. Uh, still a very nice, close matchup. So thank you, everyone, for weighing in on that. And I'm glad that we, we didn't get a blowout this time, Carl. So. I know. Me too. <laughs> me too. Um, so we'll have a, uh, a poll for you at the end of the episode. Uh, very High Republic-themed, of course. And one final piece of information before we dive into our Rise and Storm discussion. Uh, we did a giveaway over on our Instagram as well as our Twitter um, for a copy of the Rising Storm. And I'd like to congratulate Justin Heimbuck for winning a copy of the Rising Storm. So, Justin, congratulations to you. And we'll be getting that sent out to you this week. Yeah, it's a good book. I've listened to it twice. <laughs> Congrats to him, although he probably tuned out at the beginning because he right, knew he yeah, had to I know. Yeah. Yet, so <laughs> yeah. I had to DM him. <laughs> I already, yeah, I already messaged him, so that works oh, out. Good. But, <laughs> um, all right. So as as I've already said a few minutes ago, um, again, spoilers ahead. So if you've not read The Rising Storm uh, and and you want to stay spoiler free, please tune out now. Um, or else you cannot hold us accountable for what we share. Uh, that said as well, this isn't we're not going to give a group summary of the book. Um, obviously, we'll go with the supposition that if you are listening at this point, you've, you've read it um, and just want to hear a conversation around it. And uh, that's where we're going to go with it. So that said, Jason, I'm going to start with you. And okay. what were your overall takeaways? What it just the first time you listened through it? So again, might be helpful to point out how how we consumed it. So I think of the three of us, Jason, you're the only one who did the audiobook. Um, yes, Greg, Greg, you did you do an audiobook at one point or no? Oh, I uh, I got the book. My copy arrived like three days early, so I read it super fast to be finished before everybody else got theirs. So nice. <laughs> see how well my memory holds up, considering it was such a fast read through. <laughs> Yeah. So, but um, always interesting, like to just even get that different perspective. I did. I did not listen through it either. Um, I started to, but I just never finished it. I decided to just sit down and read it. I prefer reading to listening. So, um, but that said, Jason, you listened through the whole book. Yes. What was your initial thoughts when you finished it that first time? Oh man! Uh, initial thoughts, you know, immediately afterwards was, why did it stop there? I need more. <laughs> um, Ah, it was like an epilogue tack. There was like a three or four chapter epilogue that was tacked onto this. That I was like, "This why why you didn't you only gave me enough to like make me need more." And I know that's the point, but still, like, <laughs> anyways. Uh, I, overall thoughts about the book though is um, I really enjoyed it. I, I I'm having a hard time figuring out if I like this or Light at the Jedi more. Um, because they're very different in tone. Light of the Jedi is full of hope and light. Uh, you know, maybe a, a rising, uh, uh, you know, antagonism out there somewhere. But the the Jedi are on the ascendant, and the Republic is on the ascendant, and and it's full of hope and and that sort of thing. Rising Storm is not. Um, it's it's very dark. It's uh, undercutting all that hope and putting it to the test. Uh, as the darkness, you know, it rises, as the storm rises, as, you know, per the title of the book. Um, but, yeah, overall, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was a really great continuation to Light of the Jedi. Um, and and I'm really interested to see where they take the High Republic next. So, 
Nice. Um, and what about you, Greg? I also thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I think, you know, as Jason's saying, it, it was a really hard thing to have to follow Light of the Jedi because it was such a good and exciting book. And I will admit that maybe the first half of Rising Storm, I wasn't feeling it as much as I had Light of the Jedi. Light of the Jedi starts out with so much excitement and just this propulsive energy that keeps you reading chapter after chapter, even though you know you want to go to bed. Um, And I will say for me, um, Rising Storm didn't have that for a long time. Um, You know, basically when they're setting up the fair, you can kind of figure this isn't going to go as well as they plan, particularly when a number of characters are like, well, we don't have any threats to worry about. We'll just put on a fair. Um, And so, you know, something bad is going to happen. Um, And then about, you know, midway through when we really hit the, the attack on the fair, um, it just hits this high level note. Um, And then after that attack, I thought, well, we're just going to wrap it up and do the aftermath. And then the whole last section was just a total shock and surprise. And that's where it really grabbed me. So maybe it went, it, it was like around a B for me. And then it just skyrocketed right to the, the A++ um, through to the last page where, where like Jason, I just kept flipping, you know, to see if we could find some more pages somewhere. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> wait, did they not add it? Did they forget to upload a chapter to this audio book? What happens? <laughs> no, no, that's where it ends. Uh, what up, Carl? <laughs> um, I, I mean, I thought it was a great middle chapter book. In so far as I, it yeah. just, it really felt like Light of the Jedi had the energy and speed of a New Hope, and this was very much the Empire Strikes Back of that story. Um, and not, and not to say that either of these are carbon copies of those two, two two movies. I don't think so at all. But just energy and feel of them. Rising Storm is very much in a middle chapter story in so far as things go very dark and we really delve into our characters. We really get a clear sense of their motivations, what they're after, who they are as people. Um, and, and those are the types of stories I really love. I mean, the middle chapters are kind of my, my bread and butter of the, the star Wars saga. So this really worked for me. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was asking myself the same question, Jason, when I when I finished it the first time, I know I, I texted Greg and our friend Ben and said, I think I like this more than Light of the Jedi. And then I waited a day and then reread Light of the Jedi. And I was like, oh, I don't know, actually, <laughs> they're, they're both. I mean, at the end of the day, they're both so darn good. And, and that's that's a great place to be in. Um so yeah, I I don't I don't I don't even know if I have a solid answer to that still. Like uh I they're both really great books, just very different. My so I I want to say my my only critique and cuz I don't we can get into critiques later if we if we so choose, but my only overall critique of this book is the uh the battle at the fair is too long in my opinion. I mean, it's it's nearly 200 pages. <laughs> like uh this this book could have been to me, it's like it's a 9.5, but what keeps it from being a 10 out of 10 is the fact that we sh- we could have easily cut somehow 50 pages of the battle at the fair. I mean, to me, it was just a little too long. Um, but that's my that's you know, that's my taste. Obviously, if you've listened to our previous episodes on our favorite prequel moments, you know, I like kind of the slow, dramatic character moments. So there are certainly a ha- quite a few of those in this book, but there's a lot of action throughout the middle. Um, and I, yeah. I found it a little bit tedious after a while. Um, and I noticed well, as I reread it, I skimmed a lot of that. And again, it's not to say that it's bad or that it's, it's, it's no good. It's just that's, it's, 
it felt a little long to me. That's the only critique I have of this book. Whereas Light of the Jedi, I don't know that I have any critiques. Um, so maybe that answers my question, of which I like more. But <laughs> um, I, I want to comment on that just a little bit real quick. Yeah. Um, obviously, first of all, I, I am here for the excitement and the battles and everything like that. Um, I, I think part of what it was, uh, why it took so long, is because we are cutting between so many characters. Mm, that's very and we have to, We have to track them through all of the, you know, the, the battle and everything like that. That being said, I think this is where the, the audiobook is probably better um, than reading it because uh, it's got the sound effects, blaster fire, you know, engine noises, all that fun stuff. The, you know, the, um, the author or narrator, Mark Thompson, who is one of the best narrators out there, um, you know, really delves into the, the tension and the excitement and the, the exhaustion at the different appropriate moments. And so I think perhaps listening to an audiobook for the battle, it's going to be a bit easier and a bit more entertaining than just reading, you know, 200 pages worth of, of a book. So, yeah, it was a very long battle sequence, I will grant you. Uh, but considering there wasn't much other battle uh, stuff except at the very end in this book, I was here for it. Yeah. So, no, that's that's totally and that's a great point. Right. There are so many characters and it does um, it does bop around all of them equally. And and that to me is also a huge selling point of this book, too, is. The chapters were all under 10 pages <laughs> um, and mm. it, it made it read really fast. And I, I appreciated that. And I noticed a few folks on Twitter were commenting on um, some folks were saying, you know, I, as, as someone who, who has ADHD, I found this to be really helpful. Um, so and and Kevin Scott was very responsive to those comments on Twitter and, and uh, seemed to be very conscious of, of that approach. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I really appreciated that. Uh, the only other thing I would say that the High Republic is in is in at least the main novels are in desperate need of, and I'm curious if you two would agree. But the old Legends canon, right? They always had the 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 character list at the beginning of the book of all the characters you were going to meet. That would be so flippin' helpful in the High <laughs> Republic because there's so many damn characters mm. and they're all great, but. You know, it's just like, wait, which one was that again? It, it would be nice to just go to the front of the book, where's the whole list of them. You know, again, just tells you what their species is, what their role is, right? That was so helpful in the old Legends canon. Um, so I feel like that's a that's a Twitter campaign we should start because <laughs> uh, they're that's the only thing I think they're they're doing us dirty by is not giving us that. <laughs> so, dramatist personae, yes, yeah. The problem is, is with this book that would be like like three pages. So um, <laughs> that's all know, right. I, it's still easier. I, 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 I'm still here for it, but yeah, it, it would be like three pages. So <laughs> I, I'm going to not join your campaign selfishly because I think what they should do instead is just a really good visual dictionary with oh, all of them, yeah. all this great art they've had. Um, so that would fulfill the same purpose, right? To, to be able to get a good visual and, and a reminder of their story quickly. Um, I would love to see that maybe at the end of wave one. Yeah. Okay. I, I'd prefer that as well. It'd be cool to see them. <laughs> yeah, yes. I'll yeah. go, I'll go with that campaign, Greg. <laughs> Okay, quick quick question. Um This is not like a trilogy, right? This is just like a, an ongoing series at this point. 
correct? Like, I know we've got another, like, uh, you know, collection of these books yeah. coming out at, like, the end of the, the year or something like that, or maybe it was January. Um, but that's not the end of things, right? This no. is, you know, we don't have, like, an end for the High Republic given to us yet. Nope. Right? No. So, nope. okay. no. Craig, I know you have the the nuts and bolts of this better than I do. So, Sure. So um, they are actually being pretty vague about how much to expect for anything. Um, so you're right that there was an announcement this week that announced what is called wave three of phase one. So all of the, when, when like a batch of books comes out, they're calling that a wave, mm-hmm. but then they've told us that they have three phases planned out. Um, now, wave one is going to end with the the books that are coming out in January that they just announced this week. So that will be kind of three hardcover novels that make up that wave, or excuse me, that phase. But there's no guarantee that that will be the same in each of the other phases. Um, so we might see this go on for some time. Um, the authors recently said they have planned out the rest of wave of fate. Now I'm screwing up the terms even though i paused to define them uh they have planned out the rest of phase three so they know where that phase ends and i think it's assumed that that will be kind of the end of the story but um not a guarantee um and then you know if you add in all the other materials i think it's hard to view it as as a trilogy um you know carl i think you used the phrase middle chapter for this book i noted in the event um with bards and nobles that had the whole panel they were saying second chapter meaning the same thing that you are you know a, a darker chapter but they didn't use that word middle so i don't know that they quite see it that way which gives me hope we could be in the high republic for decades <laughs> I'm here for it. Um, <laughs> I'm also very interested to get into the comics, but I'm waiting for those um, trade paperbacks to come out because, mm. yeah. Anyways, sorry. Back to uh, the Rising Storm. Um, where do we want to start? Anybody have something in particular that they are interested in bringing up? Uh, a a particular part that they really enjoyed yes uh yes <laughs> um not to jump the gun and I, obviously i will all talk but uh i yeah. i really so the to me the two big stand mm, i don't even want to say that because i guess there was three my three favorite characters from the book and this is how i would probably rank them is probably bell followed by ty yorick followed by elzar man um I really loved the continuing adventures of Bell and Ember, the rescue dog. Um, mm. Excuse me, the rescue charhound. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as as someone with with two rescue pets myself, uh, I mean, I, I credit Charles Soule for for giving us Ember in Light of the Jedi, and just the continued adventures, the way that Bell and Ember bond in this story is really beautiful to me you know um specifically in the space battle scene when when bell gets shot in the gut with a harpoon and you know uh, ember keeps barking to keep him awake to keep him from slipping into unconsciousness and it's it's said time and time again both through that sequence but even the 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 story progresses that that ember really acts as this anchor for bell and really gives him a sense of stability because 
um, what I love so much about Bell's arc in this story is he is a very, very grief-stricken character. Um, he mm. is mourning Loden so much at the at the beginning and and up through much of the book. And um, you know, I, I mean, I have such a soft spot for anyone who 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 can write a good grief story arc. Uh, that's why I loved Wandavision. Um, you know, and I just I really, really found myself in the story of bell a lot um he was the character i i identified a lot with um at, at this point of the game and and i loved that he had someone with him um and yeah i mean i just i loved his relationship with ember and and i love you know it Kind of as the battle is, you know, raging, everybody's kind of got their own parts to play. And Bell's part is essentially, to me, it's like this is a mini, a mini Jedi adventure, right? This is this is Bell living into what it means to be a Jedi. It's the job of the Jedi to protect people, to rescue them, and in, in, in danger. So as Bell is going through the, you know, the sinking innovator, looking to help, you know, victims, and he's using Ember to do this. Um, it's just a very fun little, almost like side adventure. And as he finally starts to reconnect to the force, because so much of his story arc is, um, he's kind of dead is too strong a word, but he's very, the force feels very dormant to him. And, and we're even told that he's kind of cut himself off from the force, which again, like it's cool to, to see that, that that whole idea, which was first introduced in Last Jedi, brought into the High Republic, this idea that people can cut themselves off from the Force. Bell is a kind of afraid of what the Force will reveal to him because he knows that if he centers himself in the Force, he's going to have to really accept the grief of what he's feeling. Um, so, yeah, I just I love the, the the arc that Bell goes on, and I love that Ember is there for the entire um the entire journey with him. And there's, you know, there's that point when he, he decides to move on in the innovator and he leaves Ember with a few of those, you know, a few of those characters. And, and one of them is named Dennis. Cause it's just like, what the hell? Why is there a Dennis in star Wars? But okay. Um, <laughs> but I won't forget that character's name. And, you know, it's after this really beautiful moment where bell reconnects with the force. He feels grounded in himself again. And he even, and, and, and I feel like that, that, kind of articulates itself in the sense that he's willing to leave Ember, his his most trusted companion, with these ultimately these strangers. Um, it, it felt very much like Han giving Lando the Falcon, right? Like it, it, trusting something that you love most to somebody else. Uh, and and to me, that was a, a sh that was the sign of okay, Bell is back to being a Jedi again. Like he is Jedi Knight Bell Zedifar. Um, so I just talked a lot, but I, I'm curious what, what sort of things stood out for each of you. Mm -hmm. Um, I just want to talk more about bell for a minute before we move on to, I, yeah. I also want to hear what Jason has to say and maybe it's about bell. Um, but I, I just want to add to what you just articulated, which is, um, there's that detail where he is not going to become a Jedi Knight until loading comes back, right? That he's purposefully deferring that. And it's, it's such a state of uh, arrested development, not the television show, but the psychological state, right? Where he's, he's uh, as a part of his grief, he's, he's not just refusing the force, but he's refusing to move forward um, and wants to hold himself back because he doesn't understand going on without Loden there. Um, and it, it really is touching given how close we saw them 
um, acting in the first uh, book and, and, you know, the, the kind of challenges and the, the jump out of your starfighter, but I'll catch you if you can't quite handle it yourself. Um, and I think, you know, this is very much a Padawan without a net. And um, it is encouraging to see him grow more and more across the novel, as you note. Um, but I can't help but think he's going to be in very rough shape at the start of the the third uh, novel or wherever they, they pick up his strand um, because it seems like the events of the last 20 pages are really going to hit him hard. Mm. Yeah. 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 No, that's very true. And uh, it's heartbreaking because Bell, I think, is the highlight of um, – of this book in all seriousness. I think there, there's so much to him. We get so deep into his, his trauma, his pain, his road to recovery. And then, you know, elation at the end that turns into complete and total despair. Like, I, I, I don't know what state he's in right now. Um, you know, obviously, he finds Loden. Uh, Loden is alive, and they are reunited. Oh, very temporarily, and then whatever this leveler thing that Martian Rowe has kills Loden and puts Bell into some sort of catatonic state, and that's mm-hmm. where we leave the book. <laughs> that is where the book ends. Is that we just stop right there with Loden dead. And Bell curled up in the fetal position with Ember standing guard over him, not even letting Indira Stokes, his master, or Stellan Geos, the council member, who she followed around like a puppy dog earlier in the book, uh, close to Bell. So, yeah, it's um, he goes on quite the the character journey, roller coaster. I don't know. Like he just can't catch a break. Yeah. Yeah. Has a, such a oh, well since you no. sorry, since you name dropped her, I just want to say I loved Indira Stokes. Um Stokes? Stokes. Yep. Stokes. Um I thought she was awesome and there were times where I wanted her to get her own point of view chapters. I'm like, wait, this is a super badass Jedi who's just coming in and cleaning up with the starfighter or with her lightsaber or whatever is necessary. I kind of was like, Oh, we could, we could use her in this book. We could use, uh, you know, <laughs> some other energy there. So um, it's not really a critique, but I loved her so much. I'm hoping we get her as a focal point in a future story. Yeah. I like her too. Um, I, she was definitely more prominent uh, in this one than the last book. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to get more, just from her POV be really cool. So, yeah. Well, I, what else, what, you know, who were some other characters or moments or anything like that, uh, that, that stood out to, to each of you. So uh, Jason, what's something that really, really worked for you? Um, I mean, I, I'm a fan of Stellan Geos. I, I do like him, uh, quite a bit. It was nice because he was talked about a lot in the first, um, wave of of books that came out uh, earlier this year. Uh, we talked. He was talked about quite a bit in uh, Light of the Jedi, in 
what is it, test of courage because he's uh, Ver- Vernestra Rose master or mm-hmm. was. Yep. So, mm-hmm. um, but it was just nice to be able to finally get to see him and and find out who he was and uh, where he's at. Um, I don't know. He he kind of had this air of maybe what Count Dooku would have been as a Jedi, um, if that makes sense. So maybe that's part of why I liked him so much. But I, I liked his um, just him as a character, and I liked the the sort of line that he has to walk with the Chancellor and everything like that, and the fact that she essentially gives him a very aggressive mission at the very end of the book. And he's like, he don't under, she doesn't understand what she's asking. And he has Mm -hmm. to, you know, grapple with like, this is, this is probably more than what the Jedi should be doing, but I can't say no in this Mm. situation. Yeah. You know, she's laying there in the hospital bed, uh, you know, recovering from almost dying in an explosion. Uh, You know, he's, He's trying to figure out where he's at as a council member now and how that affects his relationship with his friends, you know, Elzar in particular in this book. Um, Because it changes things. But then also he's like, but now I have to lead. I have to be the face of things. And I don't think I like that. (laughs) <laughs> so it was it was an interesting um arc to to send a jedi on i thought and um i don't know i'm yeah i, I know he kind of cool at sometimes but i kind of liked him i i did quite like Stellan a, a lot so yeah that that's a i i really enjoyed that moment you know is lena so is you know the chancellor she's recovering in her hospital bed and she essentially kind of get almost like a kill order to Stellan Geos. Like, I yeah. want you to go, you know, that, that line, bring them to justice. I mean, it may, makes me think back to 2001 when George Bush said that after the attacks on, you know, the United States on September 11th, you know, bring to justice. It essentially just means go kill them, which is, that's not really justice. But but that's the kind of the vibe I got from Lena So is like she's kind of out for blood in that moment. And I think Stellan, Stellan picks up on that. And, and it gave me strong Mace Windu vibes from the opening of Attack of the Clones, right? Like we're keepers of the peace, not soldiers, right? And that seems to be what's bouncing around Stellan's head is – you know, this isn't really, this isn't our role. We're not, wor- he even says we're not warriors, right? So like the Jedi of the High Republic, they are very much keepers of the peace. They are, they don't even consider themselves warriors. Um, so it's a very interesting place to put him in. Um, but I think Lena So is now very well aware of the, 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 the threat that the Nile pro, um, uh, posed to the galaxy. And, she really wants <laughs> she wants them eradicated is what it seems like and and Stellan is very uncomfortable with that um <clears throat> what did, what did you think of that scene greg how did that play out in your mind wipe them out <laughs> all of them um <laughs> uh yeah a couple connections I, I liked both of your thoughts a lot on that and one thing when jason was talking it reminded me of um there's kind of this t- 
tidbit at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith that um, isn't fully developed. I think it's more in the novel, but I will defer to your expertise on the novel, where um, Anakin and Obi-Wan have become like stars of the hollow net because mm-hmm. of the, the coverage of the Clone Wars. And so we get the... And Obi-Wan's nickname is The Negotiator, and I forget what Anakin Hero is, with no if he fear. has one. Yeah. Hero. Um, and Hero. so there's that same kind of dynamic going on here because of the placement of the journalist and what happened to Lena So, they got this amazing footage of Stellan saving her and then kind of over her body, right? I, I have yeah. this detail, correct? Yeah. 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 Um, and so everybody's saw this incredible heroic action and then this real emotion from a Jedi. So it's only natural that she would pick him as a, you know, propaganda move to say, oh, you, you know, I was wrong. The Nile are much worse. We're going to have to go after them. And I'm sending uh, top men, right? Uh, The best man I have, which is this man who just proved himself. Um, And so that, um, as we know, was part of the pressure on Anakin that, you know, wasn't the reason he fell, but contributed, right? He couldn't, the, if you hate Anakin in the first act of Revenge of the Sith, it's it's because he can't live up to his own reputation and his own uh, responsibilities. And so to see now that we're placing uh, Stellan in a position that echoes that so much um, makes me very nervous. Um, and then the other connection I'll make to larger pop culture is um, Lena So reminded me so much of the Minister of Magic from book five of Harry Potter. I think that would be Fudge, if I'm correct, um, who spends the whole uh, novel, and that's the longest Harry Potter book, I think, uh, denying that he who must not be named is back. And then at the end, he locks eyes with him. If you've seen the movie, it's like literally like eye contact across a crowded room. And he just goes, he's back. Um, and suddenly believes. And I think that's very much what Lena So's role was in this novel. It benefited her politically to pretend nothing was going on. Um, and so she ign- pretended that they'd wiped out the Nile at the previous battle at the end of Light of the Jedi. And to have such a rude awakening that's now shaking the Republic's confidence in her and in the Republic to its foundation, um, I think it's really important that she's going to put a ton of pressure on um, her version of Harry Potter, Stellan Geos, uh, to solve this problem. So there you go. In one comment, Stellan Geos is both Harry Potter and Anakin. So I guess I like them. <laughs> well, here, here's the thing is that this series is supposed to kind of give us an idea of how the galaxy gets to the point of where it's all set up for Palpatine to just knock over the dominoes and take over in the prequels, right? And this is the beginning of that. This is the beginning of because you get the idea throughout the book so far, especially in Light of the Jedi, and uh, the beginning of uh, the Rising Storm is that the Jedi are still, while they work with the Republic, they are still rather autonomous. Um, I mean, going so far as into that that final space battle in uh, Light of the Jedi, the the Jedi ship just sort of stays off to the side until they're requested to act, you know? Um, but but this sort of request, this pressure that Lena So puts on Stellan Geos, a member of the Jedi Council, no less, yeah. uh, is almost a direct order. 
and one that the Jedi seem to just acquiesce to, um, which uh, yeah. make that that relationship between the Jedi and the Senate in the Phantom Menace really kind of makes sense now. That's, so that's a really interesting point you bring up, Jason. That because it, it's. It makes me curious because right the the Lena So's biggest villain or not villain but like kind of arch enemy if you will and and that's too maybe that's a little too black and white to put it but at the beginning of the book is the senator Tia Toon right um, yes who's this huge advocate for a republic defense force and and I think he's a very well developed character in the book as well someone on our Instagram pointed out that that was their he was their MVP of the book uh, you know mm. um, and. He's he's a you know and 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 someone responded to that by saying like yeah he he kind of asks the uncomfortable questions like he he challenges the status quo right he mm-hmm. was well aware of what the Nile did what they represent he firmly believes that they're not gone and even if they were like there's no reason to think there won't be further future threats and he really wants the republic to have its own defense without relying on the Jedi and right there there's so many great scenes in that right when he's He's having his negotiations with, uh, oh my gosh, who does Ty Yorick kind of? Oh, the Chekets. Uh, yeah, Mantessa. Man, yeah, Mantessa. And, right, and like Ty Yorick seems to like attack him. And at the end of that little that little sequence, like he, he says to, to Stellan, like, I, I love the Jedi, essentially. Like, I have nothing but respect, but I don't think it should fall to you to be the police force of the Republic. And I think that's a very valid point, right? You know, it's, um, I felt like the first time I read through it, to me, Tia Toon was just kind of like a warmonger, but I don't think that's really what he is at all. I think he's really thinking about, you know, the Republic needs some sort of communal defense system and network, and it shouldn't be something like the, like you were pointing out, Jason, this autonomous Jedi order. And interestingly enough, by Lena So having this moment with Stellan and trying to bring the Jedi to kind of be the enforcers of the Republic, it really draws those two entities, those separate entities together, and maybe not for the best, right? That's because it'll reshape and redefine what the Jedi Order's existence is supposed to be. Um, so, yeah, that's yeah. that's a really great point. Yeah, and and you know who who knows how far it goes. Like if if this is supposed to uh, just be until the end of the mission that the book ends on, or if uh, it kind of gets extended until the Nihil threat is is completely taken care of, which it doesn't seem like it will go anywhere anytime soon. Uh, the way that Martian Rowe has plans within plans, um, paranoid as he may be. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. It's a very interesting first step down a long and dangerous road. A step that wouldn't have had to be taken if Tia Toon got his Republic Defense Initiative in place. Yeah. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just I just want to chime in that I also thought Tia Toon was just really well done because he did feel cartoonish in the beginning, like you know a mustache twirling mm. uh, warmonger, like like Carl said, um, and then that moment where he's like, of 
of course I'll help you. Like, I want the Jedi to succeed. I'm rooting for the Jedi. I just don't think that we should have to have the Jedi. Uh, was was so surprising and yet felt very real and, you know, like a lot of politicians have to act and, and make compromises. So so it was really good. Um, but I really like this point. I think you're right that we're on our first step towards emergency powers and uh, mm-hmm. a grand army of the Republic, perhaps. Yeah. 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 It's... Uh... It's very interesting. Uh, you know, I'm I've been kind of keeping an eye out for the steps that are, that will take us to the Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones um, in these these books, uh, and and I think this is the first big one um, that we're going to see here. So Palpatine yeah. loves. I'll, I'll chime in a second one if I could. Sure. Sorry, yeah. finish your thought. <laughs> so Palpatine loves Lena So. Um, <laughs> oh. Because she brought everyone together through the force of her personality and will. And so when she asks for something, even if it's maybe not the right decision, people do it. Mm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, so mine is, I think this book gave us the first clue that the corporations are gaining a lot of power, right? And we already mentioned those characters and uh, the ways in which they are acting around the edges of the Republic fair. So um, I, I just will say in passing, I really loved the concept of the Republic Fair. You know, I'm not old enough to have seen a world fair, um, but I always enjoy the concept of it. And, you know, the idea that we would all come together and show off what our nation can do. I guess we're, we're podcasting during the Olympics. It's not all that different, right? Come together, show off, uh, compete a little. Um, and so I thought it was it was great, but it very much felt like, um, I think it's a Roman phrase of a uh, bread and circus, right? That we're going to distract from all the things that are going poorly by giving the the general public, giving the peasants uh, bread in a circus, right? Um, and we see the kind of spectacle of the fair and, and all the expenses going into that. And I do think that it's in some ways demonstrating that the corporations are gaining more and more power. Um, I'm curious to learn more about this. We know by the time of Phantom Menace, something like the Trade Federation or the Banking Clan has their own senator present in the government. Um, And I think we're getting a clue that maybe some of that starts around now where the Republic is incapable of – protecting everybody at the level that they should. So they're going to have to start relying on these outside powers to get some of that uh, work done. Um, And I will just tease the tiniest bit that there is a similar uh, power at work in the Justina Ireland book that comes out today, the, um, the out of the shadows um, where um, a, a very rich family is a prominent player there. And you realize how there are people behind the scenes pulling the strings, um, you know, so I'm, I'm merging both uh, the prequels and a little bit of DJ from the last Jedi. But I think that's a big clue too into what's going to start chipping away at this Republic. Interesting. Very interesting. Oh man. Um, but Carl, you, you yeah. said you were really enjoying another character in this. Um, yeah. Ty Yorick. Ty Yorick. I, I think she is one of the coolest characters. Well, I mean, all of these characters are new, right? Except for Yoda, yeah. who's only ever mentioned in passing. Um, yeah. yeah. He's yet to show up in a scene in any of these books, as far as I know. So, yeah. Um, I need to stop you there. There's another very important character who has a cameo in this novel. 
Oh, Gary L. Poof? Well, yeah. I think he was in Light of the Jedi. Light of the Jedi. He is. Oh, that's true, yeah. Um, yes. Harris and Bay. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, True. What a great character. I just, I just have such a, a soft spot for Terrace and Uba. I, I just love him. Yeah. Him out, so. um, I was just resting my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I loved Tyoric. Uh, you know, it, the, I loved her for the same reason I loved Kanan in Rebels, which is I love this idea of Jedi who can't be Jedi for whatever reason, right? So for Kanan, he can't be a Jedi because it's essentially illegal, <laughs> right, in, right. The, in the reign mm-hmm. of the Empire. Tyoric, though, she's not a Jedi because we don't know why, and I love that. So there is mm-hmm. obviously something about this character that caused her to step, step away from the Order. But with that very that very revelation we also get the sense because stellan is curious like oh who is this person he tries to look her up and he can't find any information and we get again like this little bit of backstory so something that was cut from attack of the clones right was that scene where obi-wan is looking at the bust of count dooku and the jedi archives when you know jocasta new comes up to him to see if he needs any help and there was originally a concept for attack of the clones called the lost 20 right these these 20 jedi who walked away from the order they didn't become darksiders except i mean obviously dooku did but it was just this idea that jedi masters who walked away from the order for whatever reason mm-hmm. in high republic that specifically doesn't get recanonized but something very similar does and we're told about oh my goodness what is, i'm trying to remember the language of it but it's the um I'm going to try to look through my – oh, Corridor of the Lost is what it's called. There's apparently a spot in the Mm. temple called the Corridor of the Lost, and that is anyone who stepped away from uh, the Jedi Order after becoming a Padawan. Um, And uh, so it's interesting, and that's why Stellan's like, oh, she's not part of that Lost Corridor because she must have stepped away sooner than that. Um, so again, it, I just like anything like that that expands upon the lore of the Jedi and, and, and the way they kind of conduct themselves is obviously going to grab my attention. Um, so this idea that Ty York stepped away for her obvious for her own reasons, I just I can't wait to find out more about her. Um, and yeah, like there's something that really grabbed me about her, too, is. She uses – she constantly makes reference to how she used to use these essentially like seer stones. Um, oh, my goodness. Again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blank out what exactly they're called. Um, and uh, da, 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 blah, blah. Uh, well, I'm not going to waste time looking through my notes. But – we'll say again? I'll – I can find it. Okay. Um, but yeah, she used – she, she talks about how she used to use these stones to make decisions for herself. Um, essentially, it was like the Force's version of or, – or excuse me, Star Wars version of the Magic 8-Ball, if you will. Um, so <laughs> she kind of relied on these these stones to help make big decisions for her. But when we first meet her, it just gave me strong Chapter 4 Mandalorian vibes. She's on this kind of swamp planet. These farmers need her help. And – she can't help but help those in need, right? So even though she's not a member of the Jedi Order anymore, there's something clearly about her that she can't help but but do good. Um, so I really like that character, and I love the way she bonds with um, Elzar, especially in that moment when they, you know, calm the the Sandvils to ride them. You know, literally riding yeah. dragons. Um, yeah, she's she's just such a a cool character and 
Um, and, and, and so not only Ty York, but even in um, Danielle Jose Older's, you know, uh, middle grade book, Race to, Crash, Race to Crash Point Tower, we also get another character, a, a prominent character in his story by the name of Zine. Um, who also has the force, but isn't a Jedi. So again, I, I just love this concept of they're the Jedi are well aware of these other force users running around the galaxy. Um, and they're not all necessarily part of the Jedi order. Um, so it's, yeah, I, I found the, the stones that they're, they're Verazine stones. That's right. Okay. They've got sun symbols and moon symbols and you bet on which one you're going to roll more of. So, Blue, the boy, red, his mother. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> the champ cube, essentially. I'll just say uh, I'm too deep into my cocktail, clearly, because I've done more voices than Jason, which is just a bad sign for this <laughs> podcast. Just a deep, dark, bad sign um, for it. Uh, I mean, badass Jedi mount- monster hunter. What could be better than that? And I think, you know, I love Tyoric and the scenes on Vela with uh, them, but... The entry uh, they make into the story is so wonderful where we we get somebody who's uh, clearly a, a really good monster, a hunter, a, a gun for hire or a lightsaber for hire, uh, encountering the Drengir and, and getting overwhelmed, but not completely, obviously. Um, so it, it was just a really exciting moment um, there. Now, I will also say I read these books in this uh, wave incorrectly because i was given advanced copies of the middle grade book and the ya book but not the novel so i read the novel last of the three um and the problem with that is i knew Loden wasn't going to make it out of this one which was unfortunate um before reading it but um i will say reading the middle grade book um Tyor comes through that story and i could immediately tell that this was somebody Really cool. I'd forgotten that they were on the cover of this book, um, but it was really exciting to to see this scene and be like, "Who is this?" Because it's even more confusing when Ram Ram Jormaram uh, encounters them in uh, the the jail on Velo, as I recall, um, and it's yeah. just even more mysterious. And then um, we get the the same scene from the reverse perspective in this book, which. I am all here for um, this seems to be something Star Wars is really interested in doing right now uh, in High Republic and also the the new War of the Bounty Hunters comics. Um, in the last week, I think we got the same scene three different times in Dr. Aphra's perspective, Jabba's perspective and Darth Vader's perspective. Um, and it, it's such a good Star Wars Kurosawa Rashomon uh, thing to do. It's just really exciting and fun. And I hope that we see more of that as we go forward in the high Republic. Well, a point to that. Um, I was actually thinking as I was uh, listening to um this book again that the high republic would make a really great uh like series mm-hmm. like tv series except you just take everything and you're just cutting back and forth across the various novels and whatever you know and you know follow the different characters and different episodes and stuff like that and you're just cutting back and forth um all across it. I think that would be a really interesting thing to con to, you know, to do someday. If star Wars ever wanted to try that, I would watch the, you know, the hell out of, out of some high Republic 
uh, you know, TV series if they did that, even if I know how it all ends. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think that would be really cool. So they, they're very deliberately and carefully weaving all of these various books and, and comics together. So I like it. Well, and to that point, um, just another note, when Carl gave a shout out to, to Zine from the other book, uh, Zine is actually one of the stars of the High Republic Adventures comic. So it's really interesting to me that they make all of this interweave so carefully to the extent that you don't need to read it all, right? If you just want to read the adult novels, that's what you want to do. You get a complete story and you get everything you need. There are just these little threads almost that you could choose to pull on and say like, oh, uh, that Ram Jomaram story sounds interesting. Where is he? And I could go, you can go track that down. Um, the big one in this novel being um, Avar, right? They, they kind of have Avar on ice. And as I understand it, that's because she's off doing the things in the marvel comic the the adult comic um not adult but written for adults uh it calm down stellan it's not avar in adult <laughs> situations um it's just uh so she's kind of on the side there and, and we'll see what happens when she comes back in the mix and i think it's effective storytelling it's a lot of fun for those of us that want to do it all but it's really nice that you don't have to either yeah i agree because yeah. i i just i don't know that i'll ever really read all the comics i just i'm just not a big comic reader um but i mean i'm lucky to have you greg and ben who do read the comics and if anything really cool happens i know you'll tell me (laughs) um Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean i think that's a really great point about that they are standalone stories you don't need them to be informed of everything um and and i know that's a that's a complaint i've heard from some people just kind of in the peripheries, but you know, like, Oh my gosh, there's all these new things. I don't want to have to read all that stuff. But I think any immediate counter argument is, is you don't have to, <laughs> Just, mm-hmm. you can, you can pick up any ones that you want and you'll be, you'll be fine. Um, so, uh, but you know, we, we've had a long discussion so far and we've yet to talk about, and I think we need to, uh, Marchie on row and what the Nile are up to. And, 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 Marcian Rowe, essentially, we we kind of are taken on a a hero or excuse me, a villain's journey, um, which was a concept really introduced in the sequel trilogy with Kylo Ren. Right. He's he's really on a on a journey towards villainy. Um, And we kind of get that with Marcian Rowe, especially the beginning. I love them going to that planet Grizzal, which is essentially like a cold barren wasteland i mean to me it it kind of had hellish vibes again we 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 talked about this a a while ago when episode nine first came out and how i love exegol because it kind of reminds me of um oh my gosh who's got the 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 circles of hell greg is it dante or uh yeah it is dante Dante. yeah dante right and how the kind of that this the center of hell is kind of this cold barren stone cold place and um you know, it's it's not this fiery hot place, but rather something very cold and barren. Uh, and Grizzal kind of had that effect to me. It's like this is this is Martian going into the heart of hell. You know, shimmying through little rock crevices and going down to this ancient um, shrine to 
to get this thing called the level or whatever the hell that is. And I, I do kind of want to talk about that in a minute uh, with with all of you. But uh, just kind of what what were your general thoughts on Martian? Um, you know, what's he up to? What is what do you think his ends are? What, what what's going on with this guy? I think he's a Sith. Hmm. Okay. Uh, or at least someone who wants to be. Um, I, 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 there's something about him. There's a lot more to him than we know, obviously, but like, I, I don't, he's got plans that are too big for the Nihil and he, I, I think he wants the galaxy to be perfectly honest. And he wants to take down the Republic. Um, but the ultimate goal the end goal is still a mystery i have no idea what he's what he's about but it seems like there's uh he has animosity obviously against the republic but i think there's also very specific animosity against the jedi um hence why he's acquired this thing from Grizel, this this leveler whatever that is um that petrified and killed Loden Greatstorm at the end of the book, which, God, that hurt me so bad because Loden was my favorite character from Light of the Jedi. Um, but th- there's something very sinister about him that has me on edge. Like, I don't know what he's all about. He's not He's not giving the Nihil hardly anything as to what his goals are, which is to be expected, but he's not even giving us really what he's about. Just sort of like the next step in his plan as he does it. So, and whatever that plan is, it's, he kind of scares me, to be perfectly honest. I think that's the point. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Greg? What do you think he's after? I mean, I really liked when he turned to that other Nile and said, "New leveler, Udis," because uh, of his name. <laughs> um, I, I think Markeon, and I'm being particularly uh, jerkish about that because Charles Soul lit up Twitter yesterday by saying he's always thought it's pronounced Markeon, um, and half of Twitter was excited and half of Twitter was angry about it. Um, <laughs> I think it's definitely a Han Han thing. You can pronounce it either way. Uh, but uh, it's pronounced Marcion in the audiobooks. So yeah, but I would trust Soul more than. Uh, the narrator but anyway it's not really important i really please don't dm me people i i don't care call them what you want um uh so i i think he is playing his role superbly um i think just as jason was saying it's really important that we don't understand the whole game he's playing um there was a way in which parts of light of the jedi felt like they were accidents right the the trigger event for the the great disaster was seemed like an accident um but i think it's it's not right um i don't want to sound like i'm describing QAnon, but i do think there's a way in which martian Rowe is playing three-dimensional chess right he sees all these factions much like palpatine does and he understands particularly how to play them how to manipulate them 
Um, over the course of Light of the Jedi, he goes from, as I understand it, the eye of the storm was just meant to coordinate um, but not set the agenda to now being in this book kind of everybody is working for him. He is an undisputed ruler of the Nile and mm-hmm. he spends it off gathering his uh his artifacts. Um, there's something about that to me that feels a lot like Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? The Nazis are headed out. Oh, look, first QAnon, now the Nazis. We're getting all our friends. <laughs> uh, and so uh, there's a thing about uh, how Hitler is accumulating his power in Europe in his armies, and he sends uh, Belloc and other artifact collectors around the world so that um, he can have the supernatural power that may exist or uh, that he can uh, you know, at least hold the relics that people will not want to challenge him because he will destroy them. Um, and it felt very much like that to me and to see uh just how terrible uh martian is to to everyone is is upsetting as as a good villain should be yeah and um, just to clarify something there uh in re-listening to light of the jedi over the weekend the uh the quote-unquote accident uh hmm. that got the legacy run yep was organized okay yeah. good yeah it was. He he mentions it briefly at the end. So, nice. yeah. Um, and so I'm really really excited to see where his story goes. I love uh, Lorna Dune as well. I always D, Lor- think of the cookies. Lorna, you, Lor- yeah, that's, Lorna I did. I did think of the cookies. Yeah. Lorna, Lorna D. Lorna Dune is the cookie. Um, <laughs> Or the other one is you have to say, uh, Lorna D, look at me, I'm Lorna D, uh, from Greece. So, uh, but I think uh, the relationship there is really interesting. The one thing I want to hypothesize is the only thing that Martian is not in control of is uh, the Santeca woman. Uh, yes. Is that Marie? Mar- um, Maria? Mar- yeah. Marie Santeca. Mari Santeca. I think that that is the only force in the story that he is not somehow behind. Not that he can control the actions of everybody involved, but he is really motivating everybody and pushing everybody around the board. Um, But the way we see her uh, free Loden or, you know, prepare Loden to to leave, um, really cool. And um, I think that's the only thing he does not expect in this whole book. Yeah, yeah. That was that was definitely interesting. Loden is going to have repercussions beyond what uh, uh, Martian is prepared for. Yeah, she uh, she's been kept docile until this point, and now she's awake. She told Loden, and uh, she knows what's going to. Seems like she knows what's going on now, and it doesn't sound like she's particularly happy with it. <laughs> nope. Buy out of the shadows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I just he's such a he's such a cool villain to me as well. They, they, I especially like that that early stuff on, on like I said, Grizzal and going after this thing and, and meeting up with that that woman. I can't remember her name, um, Grifa or uh, whatever the hell her name is, but and she refers to him as cousin and. Again, like just a very brief glimpse into like, oh my gosh, where did he come from? What what's up with his family? Um, I also just really like the name of his father, Asgar Rowe. It just makes me think of something from like Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones. I don't know. There's just something very like kingly about <laughs> Asgar is the name. Um, and 
very interestingly the how both he and Udi Dis um, right, the, the character he brings with him at the beginning to it seems like he really just brings him along once he's aware that Udi Dis has force potential and force abilities. He brings him essentially as a pawn to to test what the leveler can do on someone mm-hmm. with the force. Um, and which, by the way, I don't know why the, the first thing that popped into my head there was there were two big heir to the empire things that popped into my head as I was reading this book, and the first was this idea of the leveler and and. You know how it kind of throws Udi Dis and kind of discombobulates him and makes him, you know, kind of just fall apart. It just—I was like, "Ooh, is this—is this meant to be like a new canon form of the Yissel Army or something?" Um, which I mean, I hope not because I, I Yissel Army were cool in 1991. I think they're extremely stupid today. But um, <laughs> but the, it, also the other heir to the Empire vibe I got was just the the planet that the Nile kind of set up their base camp on. Um, Oh gosh, what the heck was the name of that planet? Do either of you remember? Um, he uh, uh, oh, um, let me see. I know it's in my notes. Um, hold on. Uh, crap in a hat. I can't. Why I can't remember anything. Um, it doesn't. Really Rice stand, or is that from the beginning? I think that's from the beginning. Yeah, because Grizzal is part of the Rice and system. Um, Grizzal. Grizzal is the name. Grizzal. Yeah. Grizzal. Oh, so I was wrong. Right. I, I was saying Grizzal is where they go at the beginning. It is Rystan, like you just said, Greg. So anyway, Grizz- right. Grizzal is where the their base camp is, and there's just something about it like being this kind of like jungly planet. It made me think of um, Myker or Merker, however you say it, from Heir to the Empire, the planet where Talon Card is. Um, mm. just, just made me think of kind of like this hideaway planet. Um, but yeah, I just... I just really want to know what Martian is after. I mean, it's it, to me, it's clear that he's after the eradication of the Jedi first and foremost. He had, and I want to know where that hatred comes from. Um, and yeah, super curious about what that's all about because uh, yeah. Um, I'll just say, I think the next big piece of his puzzle is coming in the comics because Charles Soule in the big announcement at Comic-Con announced that he's doing a, I think it's only a two-part series for Marvel, but they're jumbo-sized, called Eye of the Storm, and it's going to be the backstory on Martian. Um, He is not a major part of uh, the Justina Ireland book, um, so I think... We'll have to wait till then to see what what's going on with him. Mm, okay. Yeah, and it's in comics. Sorry, I'll tell you what happens. No, that's all right. I I actually kind of want to read. <laughs> I actually kind of want to read that comic is just because I really want to know more about his backstory. Um, yeah. Uh, he's and again, he kind of gives a big speech in this one as well, right? End of Light of the Jedi, the way he kind of turns. Um, Cassive, I think, is the character's name. He turns him into the, one of the Tempest Runners. Turns him into this false martyr, right? He yeah. uses him to to garner support from the rest of the Nile. And when uh, you know Pan Etta and, and and Lorna D kind of considering together, should we should we take out Martian? Especially when they figure out that the paths don't come from him. They they you know um, Pan figures out that they come from someone else on his on his ship. So it's like, well, why don't we just kill him and we'll we'll get the paths ourselves directly. Um, and something I appreciate is, is you know, it, it shows kind of the stupidity of Pan, you know, that that stupidity of just 
red hot anger. And when you bring that up against somebody who's a thinker, <laughs> you know, so if, if Pan missed his chance, if he wanted to kill him, he should have just killed him. And he had every opportunity to. But instead, he lets himself be drawn into kind of this public debate almost. And what Martian does this time to rally everybody around him once again is call for the death of Lena. So, right. We are going, you know, death to the chancellor is, is kind of the, their ringing endorsement as they, they leave to go take the battle to, to, to Valo, to um, you know, it's, it's this, and the way he gives the speech, his villainy here is kind of defined by the fact that he spews false narratives, kind of like leaders in our own world, um, about how Lena So represents everything we are opposed to. She she is an impingement on your freedom. She doesn't want you to enjoy the life the way you want to live it. Oh, she might make you want to wear a mask. Oh, I'm sorry. That's that's <laughs> sorry. That's that's today's real reality coming out, and that's somehow an impingement on your freedom, right? So, like, I think that they're smartly writing parts of him to kind of mirror some of our own villains in our real world. Um, and I'm not going to name any names because they're pretty obvious who the villains are. Um, well, not to everybody, but be that as it may, you know, he uses this, uh, these false narratives to, uh, to light a fire in people to, you know, I don't know, storm a capital or something. Um, so, <laughs> you know, sorry, I'm not pulling any punches. I mean, I, I know who I hate. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I I appreciate that these authors are they're making villains feel like villains because they be, they become reflections of the villains that exist in our own world. Um, that's that's good storytelling, in my opinion. Um, so I don't know, like and that's a George Lucas move, right? Yeah. Like it's purely his his model of. You know, he he knew exactly what was going to happen in the prequels because he had watched. He was thinking about the rise of Hitler or other dictators around the world, and I think you're absolutely right that they're taking their cue. They're saying, "Well, we're not going to." You know, Ryan Johnson made a joke um, when somebody's like, "Well, is Last Jedi going to reflect Trumpism?" And it's like, "Well, we're not going to have an alien with orange skin and funny hair and call him like." Mert or something like we're going to talk about the different forces in our society that lead to the conflicts that shape us. And then we're going to, you know, give you something to think about. And I think that's what good fiction does. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, like, do you, so I don't get the impression that Martian Rowe is interested in galactic rule, right? Like he, he's not, he's not a Sheev Palpatine. I don't feel like he's trying to coordinate a galactic takeover. I feel like for him, his it seems like his biggest end goal is the eradication of the Jedi. Um, what do you what, what do you think, Jason? I think you're probably right, and if everything else gets destroyed in the process, so be it. Like, I don't think I don't think he's out for rule. This seems like vengeance. Mm. Um, and that makes me wonder what happened because, uh, you know, we, we have very little in terms of, of where he came from, his backstory, except that, uh, you know, he was there when his father, uh, Asgar, uh, became the eye of the Nihil, brought the paths with them, um, you know, brought Marius Santeca with them. Uh, you know, it's 
but before that, we have no idea what happened to the rest of his family, where he's from. Uh, we know Martian Rowe is not his real name because uh, that's sort of referenced in Light of the Jedi. He's you know thinking to himself about you know who what he used to be called, but we don't actually get that name. So this this seems like it's definitely something that. Uh, has something to do with vengeance and is very much uh, against the Jedi, but also maybe the Republican general, um, mm. but primarily the Jedi. He seems to be very uh, antagonistic about Lena So in this book, but I'm wondering if that's more just playing to the whims of what the Nihil are feeling at the time than anything else. Mm. So I'm not sure. But Yeah, I, I try yeah. I'm trying to remember which if because again I, I I reread Light of the Jedi right before I reread this. So the, the, the both stories are smashed into my head right now. But there in one of the books in Martian seems to imply that the Jedi had made a promise to his family and they failed them. Right, so it does seem like there's a very personal angle here. Um, d- does that ring a bell for either of you? Uh, do you remember where that came up? I d- just it was Light of the Jedi, but I can't be sure. I, I think it was too. Um, but yeah, you know something about how you know they, they promised to be protectors um, in the galaxy, and they failed to protect his family. Is the is the sense that I got? Um, yeah. But yeah, um, so. You know, uh, obviously, I know we could talk for hours about this novel, but for the for the sake of time, I kind of would like to to kind of start rounding out the discussion with just kind of what were some of your big takeaways insofar as like what here's how I would pose this. What do you think this story brings to the Star Wars saga if you will and what are the big questions you have what are the things you really want to know more about um or just anything like that um and so for example i'm just going to go first because <laughs> i posed it and now i'm going to answer from my angle uh something i thought about as i as i finished reading rise rising storm uh, my second go through it felt like to and again this is just my take that Perhaps the angle they're going to take with the High Republic is where this might all be leading to. And, and it, you know, Jason, you've made a great point of how a lot of this could be leading towards, um, you know, the, the inappropriate closeness of the Jedi and the Republic. Um, but mm-hmm. something I've been thinking a lot about is what if the High Republic is the story about why the Jedi Order is the way it is in the prequels. And what I mean by that is, right, I think one of the biggest things people were disappointed with with the prequel trilogy is like, that's well, that's not how I thought the Jedi were going to be. I thought they were like these awesome, great, like noble warriors and they failed. And it's like, well, yeah, of course they failed. That was that was the point of the prequels, right? Like they, they have to fail. So I was just thinking a lot about what if the High Republic is ultimately the story of how the Jedi Order becomes the Jedi Order we met in Episode 1. You know, this very strict, dogmatic institution that is 
you know, sewn into the fabric of the Republic. Because again, that is not who the Jedi are in the High Republic. Um, so, you know, is is this battle, this war, if you will, with the Nile, ultimately what kind of causes them to take this reactionary standpoint to being this dogmatic institution? And, and there was there's a little uh, brief point in um, the Light of the Jedi when we first go to Elfrona. And Bell's going into the temple outpost and there's these two, you know, they comment about the two big Jedi guardians outside the temple entrance who are wearing the Jedi robes of an ancient time. And again, this is just me superimposing. But like when I read that, I was like, oh, so maybe the the Jedi of the High Republic, they aren't they aren't just wearing these monks robes like Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan were in Phantom Menace all the time. But it seems like by the time we get to the prequels, they they kind of revert to this old form of the Jedi. So I don't know. That's that was kind of what I was thinking about when I put down Rising Storm. Was like maybe this is what the High Republic's ultimately going to be about. Yeah, I think so because we see a lot of, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, looseness within how the Jedi operate, particularly. Uh, in the um, the person of Elzar Man, you know he's always trying to find new ways to do things. Uh, he's pushing boundaries in terms of relationships and things like that, uh, and he's not necessarily incredibly disciplined. He's a little bit, you know. He, he gets the side eye, but he's not like no one's like coming down on him. At least not yet. Uh, you know, who knows what happens after his maneuver with the dark side during the battle um, over the the Republic Fair. But I mean, he's already trying to to you know bring you know <laughs> fix that. Um, but. It does seem like the the dogmatic view of the Jedi uh, isn't quite as dogmatic here in the High Republic as it is in the prequels, and I, it makes me wonder what's going to happen. You know, with Elzar Man, with you know Bel Zedifar, who's you know walking around with a dog, uh, which is technically not allowed, but everybody kind of just lets it happen. You know. I, <laughs> It's, you know, what's going to happen to those two? Uh, and, you know, how is that going to turn out? Yeah. Very interesting. What do you think, Greg? Yeah, there's a lot I want to weigh in on. Um, one, uh, when Jason was talking about Martian, and I promise I'm not just going back like three questions for no reason. Um, one of the responses I was going to make to that, if you threw it to me, was I uh, pulled up um, Alfred's speech from The Dark Knight, right? Uh, which is all about the Joker. And it ends with the, the classic line, some men aren't looking for anything logical like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is the kind of villain we're going to see Martian become. Yeah. Um, to, to Jason's point, he doesn't want to rule the galaxy. He just 
wants to sow chaos and benefit from the chaos, but just watch it all burn to the ground. And and I absolutely think the Jedi are part of that and um, the Republic are part of that. And so kind of imagining that that's where Martian might be going, I think, you know, the, the beauty of The Dark Knight and why The Dark Knight kind of transcends superhero films is it's because you're, Bruce Wayne is faced with this horrible choice about you have to overstep and sacrifice your values or change your values, compromise your values in order to fight a force like that. Um, and I think if there's something that unites the Nile and the, the uh, Drengir, it's the fact that they're chaotic and that this is taking all the Jedi have to um, confront those those forces um, and they're making compromises all the time, right? I mean, Elzar Man didn't have to sleep with an intern. He just wanted to. But other values <laughs> are getting compromised as as they move along. Um, and then the other thing I was thinking of is um, when I think it's in the front of Light of the Jedi, they debuted this new timeline that puts the High Republic first and then renames the prequel era as Fall of the Jedi, which, which is what it is. Um, but to me, that really means that this whole high republic thing has to take us to that point right it's going to end with the jedi on the edge of their fall and that's where we meet the jedi and honestly there's not all that much time i mean that seems like a silly thing to say but if you think about the fact that we're 200 years before that we already have a few jedi council members who will be around in phantom menace um but if you're thinking of somebody like palpatine or sifo diaz um, you know, we're going to get to their birth before all that long, um, perhaps. Maybe that's overstating it a bit. Um, I'm, I'm thinking in a timescale not Star Wars-y, perhaps. Um, but it does seem to me like that's inevitably where we're going to go and, and something that might be, um, you know, the driving force of that is exactly what you said, Carl. The, this fear, um, you know, that drives them to... Uh, a form of the Jedi order that loses touch with the living force. Maybe they don't touch the trust the living force. Um, and so they're going to have to uh, find um, other ways to organize themselves. Remember that the author said that one of their motivating questions was uh, what frightens the Jedi. And right. I think we got a big taste of that at the end of this book. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever that great leveler is. Well, it seems to be right. They they seem to imply that it's it's simply fear, right? Um, I mean, even Luke tells Ray in, in Episode Nine when she goes back to Octo, you know, um, confronting fear is the destiny of a Jedi, um, and and that's how I think that's how both the the epilogue in Light of the Jedi as well as the very end of Rising Storm it, it ends with this statement of fear fear is on the loose fear personified has showed up in the in in the guise of the leveler um so so okay so i want to i want to bring this question up before we wrap up because i thought it was a really interesting point and i want to get both of your takes on this comment so um a, a friend of ours a, a good friend of yours jason uh, joey letson um made a very interesting comment on our um on our Twitter the other day. And, and I, I really want to bring it up because it is a really tremendous food for thought. Um, and essentially what he said was, and I don't mean to throw him under the bus, right? I don't, 
I don't think he came at this from an aggressive standpoint. It was just kind of him sharing his truth about High Republic. And he said that he feels that he's done with the High Republic, especially because of Rising Storm, because he feels like it's going too dark. It feel, He said, it feels like R-rated Star Wars, and that's not what I've ever wanted Star Wars to be. And I think that that's a really valid point. Um, so I'm just curious what you two think about that. I, I, it wasn't in my head at all. Like when I finished this book, I'm like, wow, that's, a, you know, this is the middle chapter. It's dark and, and things got really bad. Um, and so I, also I want to preface with everybody was talking about how this book destroyed them at the end of it. And as the book was nearing the end, I'm like, oh my God, if they kill Bell and Ember, I might be done with the High Republic. It's like, that's what I thought was going to happen. I was honestly like, I wasn't that surprised when Loden was the one who got it. I was like, all right. Like, I mean, I like him, but I was like, all right, I'm fine. It doesn't, doesn't, I don't think it destroyed me like it destroyed other people. Um, but, uh, but mainly that's just because I was expecting it to be someone else. But be that as it may, I think that's, you know, I'm just curious what what you both think. Do you feel like this is, is this too dark? Is this too dark for Star Wars? Um, you know, and again, it, this is obviously a subjective response. And, and uh, but I just, I really, really respect and, and appreciate Joey's comment. I just think that's a, it's a really insightful one. So just curious what the two of you think about that. Um, I will say not yet. I don't think it's too dark for Star Wars yet. Uh, if we get a sustained period um, with this level of darkness uh, and it doesn't show any sort of hope or light or a lighter touch, um, you know, then maybe. But I think, you know, all Star Wars you know, eventually gets through a, a period of darkness. And, um, you know, just look at Revenge of the Sith if you want to see, you know, dark Star Wars. Um, but I, I think it's a fair point because this goes very dark very fast. And um, the uh, the YA book that uh, Claudia Gray did that I'm blanking on the title of... Into the Dark. Uh, Into the Dark was also, you know... Uh, kind of, it, it wasn't as dark as this, but it was heading this direction. So the question is, are they going to push deeper into this dark? Uh, and if so, then, yeah, I think we could be getting too dark. Or are they going to let let up a little bit? Are they going to, you know, give us a breather, give us some more hope, give us some, you know, uh, something lighter, you know, somebody making a, a good stride in their own personal journey, things like that. Um, because I think that would be helpful. Uh, but it is, this is a very dark point so far in the High Republic. I wouldn't say the overall series as a whole is too dark, but if we keep going this direction and we push past this too far, it could get, it could be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, what do you think, Greg? Yeah. I mean, give me a good old fashioned George Lucas fart joke just lighten things up a little why are we going to be so serious all the time uh uh piusa um what i what i think about the question i think it's a good question to ask and i will say there has long been a segment of fandom that is craving dark gritty star wars and they like things like republic commando or the force unleashed that to me dark and gritty always meant 
violent. Um, and I think that's something that I have never sought in Star Wars. Star Wars to me is not violent, right? George wouldn't kill Han at the end. He wouldn't kill Lando at the end of Return of the Jedi because he, he wanted a happy ending. It's a fantasy. It's a, it's a way to escape reality. So for me, that is the type of dark that would turn me off of a Star Wars thing, whatever that thing may be. And we're not there on the High Republic yet. Where we are and how I would define the darkness, um, which may be different than how Joey is defining it, is that um, it's really emotionally heavy, right? Uh, for me, the ending did hit really hard, and, and it was less that I was so attached to um, Loden in that it was that we saved him. He's been suffering for the whole book, and then we save him just to lose him immediately. And it was that hope and that crush that really just destroyed me and and you know kevin said like three days before the book came out he said something along the lines of like oh people are going to be yelling at me for weeks and and i think he he knows that that's that's why they want to yell at him because because he gave us hope and then snatched it away so i'm not in a place uh, i'm gonna eat up all the high republic they give me um i will say i do think um it is surprising that this is um, as you noted in your opening statement, Carl, this is an Empire Strikes Back book pretty quickly, right? Like it's a dark uh, second chapter. Um, and it really is surprising to me. I, I guess you need good conflict for fiction. Uh, but it was surprising to me that we didn't get to see more of the Jedi always kicking ass, always winning um, before we get to kind of darkness and, and the the rising storm uh, lived up to its name. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I I think the whole the decision they made with, you know, deciding to to take to give us Stellan and then take him right away again. Um, what I appreciate, Loden, thank you. Sorry. Um, what I appreciate about that though is it right from the get go though they are making stakes to these books, right? I think one of the thing that the the old Legends canon was getting very redundant with was like no one was ever really in danger, right? Because no one ever really died. Um, and that's why when they, yeah. they, they launched the new Jedi Order series, which I believe started in 99 with Vector Prime, they were like, we got to kill one of the, the big ones, right? And that's why they chose to ch- kill off Chewbacca. Is, is, it's like we need to make some level of threat feel real here because it hasn't for a decade. Um, so right from the get-go in the second book, like to give us a big character and, and watch them perish um, is kind of big. And, and I remember hearing these discussions a lot. Um, specifically around like Game of Thrones, right? Game of Thrones was you know known for the fact that expect the unexpected, like something terrible would happen. But conversation around that whole element of you know those things don't matter when they're done for shock value. They only matter when they impact the story. And I think the fact that it is Loden who you know who who is killed at the end of this story is so impactful specifically for his relationship to bell right like i mean that's what i loved about bells bell is so conflicted with grieving Loden, but yet still holding on to hope like i just don't think he's gone so then to get him back and then be watch him die right in front of him you know this this wasn't done simply because it's like we want to shock you it was done because this is going to have a tremendous impact not only on bell but on the rest of the jedi as well um and yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it was a really smart choice. As much as I don't, I mean, I don't love it because, of course, I don't want to see someone die. But it's a bold choice to make right from the get go. That you know, no one's really safe, and I think that makes for more compelling storytelling. 
Um, and it's clear that they're going to work that into to everybody's arc. You know, you know, Jason, you alluded to it very briefly and we didn't dive into it and we didn't, we don't really have the time to, but you know, the fact that Elzar has kind of a dark side moment in this book, um, you know, it it'll be curious. And I think they kind of hinted, um, in, in one of the recent, um, uh, high Republic panels and Greg, correct me uh, if, if I'm missing this, um, but they seem to imply that someone's going to fall to the Nile. Someone's going to go over to the Nile. That's a Jedi. Um, and, uh, I just found that to be very interesting. Right. So, um, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, yeah, there's, so there's also something going on in the high Republic adventures comic. So, um, that Jedi you mentioned before, or that force sensitive being zine comes from a planet where, um, you, they don't trust the Jedi. So she was born with force abilities, but nobody ever acted on them and she kind of suppressed them. Right. Um, and so her best friend on that planet, when she discovers she's force sensitive, he reacts very upset, thinks she's been lying to him and he runs off with, uh, Martian. So, uh, immediately goes to the Nile and you have those two kind of, Almost in like a Lost Stars, uh, they're not lovers, they're children, but like best friends torn apart by the conflict. Um, and it's going to be very exciting to see where that goes. But uh, I, I do think there's probably some bigger stakes coming forward of others who might defect. Yeah. Uh, and it makes me wonder who that's going to be. You know, I don't think it's Elzar, but it might be. <laughs> yeah well and that's what i'm curious is is how will um avar specifically because again she's completely absent in this story but how is she going to respond because he's very much you know he, he's very penitent to stalin after it happens and and to ty york as well he understands that i crossed a line that i wasn't supposed to cross and i need i need someone to help keep me in check um and you know he needs to check in about that and he, I mean, he also slept with Samira Roon in the book. Now he seems to have a thing for Ty Yorick. I mean, Elzar's as thirsty as it gets, um, and and I personally love that. And, and and it's you know early in the book, it seems to imply that Elzar and Avar used to fool around when they were Padawans, as if it was just like that's just something that Padawans do, and that's okay. But it'll be curious to think about how they'll start to roll back on that. How the the Jedi will probably start to become very judgmental of those types of actions uh, i don't know necessarily that it was a a normal thing and that was okay because it seems like the way it's talked about it was still kind of behind everyone's backs i'm sure it happens because you know it's a bunch of hormonal teenagers but you know it's still probably not necessarily approved of or (laughs) slightly frowned upon shall we say right (laughs) Some would even say we're encouraged to love. Uh, (laughs) uh, Well, just to that point, the one thing left on my note sheet that I didn't bring up is, um, and I don't think we've mentioned at all, is this repeated phrase throughout the book, strength through unity. Um, And Kevin revealed, I think in the Barnes & Noble event, that um, that was almost the title of this book, or was the working title ahead of time. And um, one of the things you're pointing out with Avar out of this book um, Elzar really unstable, um, and I would say Stellan unstable as well as he's you know kind of uncomfortable. Uh, uncomfortable, yeah. Um, and so I I think that if you're looking at the two forces in this book, 
the the unity side is the Nile, right? And maybe in the end we get the Republic and the Jedi and the Togruta, who I don't think we've mentioned either, no. coming together for this this battle. But that's not real unity yet. And so if there's a strength through unity, it's really the Nile coming together and having a clear purpose, like chanting, kill the Chancellor, kill the Chancellor. Um, and that, I think portends very dark things to come uh, because we've just had it telegraphed to us. The strength belongs to those that have a singular purpose. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. And on that bright notes, you know, <laughs> there's our conversation. No, just kidding. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we, we've been going for a little bit here and uh, we'll start wrapping this up Um again, obviously so much stuff we didn't get into and, and, there's like I, I I can't wait for the Greg. You've been on their show a few times, Outer Rim Podcast. Uh, I love how they do this kind of chapter by chapter breakdown of books, and I know they're they're starting Light of the Jedi, I believe, in the fall. Um, and uh, I, I think that's such a great way to look at these new books. Uh, great model because there's so much in here, and it's hard to to do it with you know a ninety ninety minute podcast. Um, which is obviously what we aim for. So, um, you know, we're leaving a lot on the table. Uh, but, uh, you know, as always, I'm super curious what other folks thought about this book. You know, uh, what did you like? What stood out to you? Uh, where do you think the High Republic is going to take us? Um, and, I, I mean, I already can't wait for January. I can't wait for the next run. And, uh, you know, for it's phase one, right? Phase one, wave three. Is that how? Is that the language? Yes, that's correct. Okay. So excited to see how phase one wraps up with wave three in January. Uh, I I hope that things lighten up a bit, but they, based on the titles of wave three books, uh, they don't sound like they're going to. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, I, that said though, I I still love it. So just a couple things to to for people who aren't aware of that. So a couple things to remember. Like you just mentioned, the titles they released for um, the January wave, it says The Light of the Jedi Goes Dark. It's called The Fallen Star by Claudia Gray, Mission to Disaster by Justina Ireland, and Midnight Horizon by DJ Older. So um, definitely darkness across those, as you implied. Um, but remember that Phase one is called, now I'm naming the phases, not the waves, Light of the Jedi. Phase two is Quest of the Jedi. And phase three is Trials of the Jedi. So it doesn't sound like it's going to get any better for them. Right. So, uh, question. Um, isn't Kevin Scott coming out with a, a new audio uh, drama set in the High Republic? Um, something about yeah, Lor- Lorna D. Like, yeah, Lorna D or something? Yep. The Tempest Runner is the title of it. That's it. So That's so we get Justina Ireland's YA novel today when we're recording. Um, then that is the next thing, the audio drama in August. Okay. And then yeah, yeah, the yeah. manga, and there are two different comic miniseries coming in September. Um, so, And then the monthly comic series will continue throughout the fall. So there's actually quite a bit b- between the, the big wave releases. Uh, but again, you can skip all that and just go for the the adult novels, and you'd be just fine. Yeah. Um, well, any final thoughts from either of you before we we wrap this up? Uh, Greg, go ahead. 
Um, I will say that, you know, if I had, I, I get asked from time to time, I think, cause what my Twitter handle is like, Hey, I'm interested in books. Where can I start reading star Wars books? I think I would definitely send people to the high Republic at this point. Um, lost stars was my answer for a long time because it was so tied to the original trilogy and, and such an easy fun way in. Um, but I think this is something really fresh and different and I just couldn't be more delighted with how it's going so far. Um, and I'll just give credit to that, um, to the group of authors, which is they're very present on social media. They're answering questions. They're liking when you, uh, you know, comment that you got their book or you pre-ordered their book. Um, and then the group of Lucasfilm uh, staff, um, I'm not going to be able to remember all their names, but Michael Sieglan is the editor in charge of uh, this program and I'm sure a lot more. Um, but I've been amazed on social media if I mention High Republic not tagging anybody. I just say something about high Republic. He'll come in and he'll like the tweet. So he's really, you know, getting around and and paying attention to the fans. And I think all that hard work gives us products like this. So it's just a great place to spend your time in terms of fandom. I think so too. I think, uh, yeah, these, and, and, you know, I mean, I made this comment when we, when we talked about the, the first uh, wave of everything, uh, these books are just so well written too. Um, you know, they're very fun, adventure-filled Star Wars stories that also are giving us brand new, fresh characters and making them feel so real. Um, I mean, almost every character that that was brought into both of these books, I've I've thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah, definitely. I I'm very much enjoying all the characters that we're getting. Uh, I'm really looking forward to how some of these characters progress and desperately hoping that some of them don't die (laughs) because we've been introduced to a lot of really great Jedi and interesting characters. There's been a lot of Jedi that have died between these two books, like a lot, you know, (laughs) it was, you know, it was almost a thing, you know, re going back and realizing the light of the Jedi was almost like, a, a trope that was going on where you'd get introduced to a new Jedi uh, and they die at the end of that bit, you know, and it's like, Oh, okay. And then of course there's a lot of death in this one, but uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing how things go uh, because it is just a new, you know, a new way to expand on the Jedi that we've never done before. And these characters are really starting to, to grow on me and intrigue me and I'm looking forward to digging into the other material. Me too. Cause we're, we're <laughs> there's, there's just going to be so much more and I can't wait to, to get into more and more of this as we continue along. So, yeah. um, well that said, before we wrap this up, we have a poll for all of you for, uh, for our next episode. We would like yeah. to know who your favorite character is from the High Republic. And obviously this can be from any of the books, the comics, whatever. Um, but who has been your favorite character so far in the High Republic? Man, it's a, it's a hard choice because before this book, I could easily answer that question. Uh, but now that character's dead. So, you know. Uh- <laughs> 
I'm going to miss Loden. Yes. Well, I'm sure his impact is still going to be felt for uh, quite a bit to come. Yeah. Um, so yeah, before we wrap up though, as always, Greg, thank you for taking the time to, to be <laughs> here and talk high Republic with us. I always love having you on the show and, and especially talking about star Wars literature. It's always, always a treat and a delight to have you. Um, my absolute pr- pleasure. Thanks for asking. <laughs> and I'm always happy to come on and, and talk about books and you two, uh, don't need me, but I appreciate you making me feel welcome at these times. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we, you're too kind. But uh, but tell how can folks keep up with what you're up to? You're you're now a regular co-host on your own Star Wars podcast. Uh, how can folks find all of that stuff? Yeah, thanks for that shout out. Um, so the best way to catch up with me is finding me on Twitter or Instagram at Ion Cannon. That's E Y E O N C A N O N. Um, and I always enjoy just chatting with people there. Um, you know, I'm a professor is my day job. And so that means in the summer, I'm just hanging out. So I'm always on Twitter uh, looking for trouble. So so feel free to reach out. Um, and I have been uh, co-hosting a Bad Batch Reaction podcast uh, with uh, Greg McLaughlin at Rebel Base Card Podcast. Um, he's trying out something a little different because his podcast is devoted to information about trading cards and artists who create them and the, the trade trade, uh, card trader app and all that stuff. Uh, but he wanted to do a little mini show, um, doing bad batch reactions. So I've been, uh, doing that all the way through. I think we both were thinking this was going to be like a Marvel length season of like six to eight episodes. Uh, but we're hanging in there. I think, what did we just pass? 13, 14. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we will hit the end of the season, which I believe is 16 episodes. So, uh, check us out there. You can find that, um, at rebel base card is his Twitter and Instagram, uh, or what to search for in your podcatcher. Thanks. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Carl, uh, if people want to weigh in on our poll on their favorite high Republic character, or just interact with us, uh, with anything else Star Wars related, including the High Republic. Where can people do that, sir? Uh, we are also on Twitter at Wampas Lair. You can uh, find us on Instagram at the underscore Wampas Lair. And you can always email us at Wampas Lair Podcast at gmail.com. Indeed. Anything else, gentlemen, before we close down this episode? I think you're all clear, kids, so let's blow this thing and go home. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you, everyone, so much for listening to this episode of the Wampas Lair podcast. This has been episode number 432, The Rising Storm. For Carl and Greg, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampas Lair. <laughs>